Good morning, Journey. Ooh, that's pretty good. I don't even think we have to do two today. You all are with me. You're on track. I say that to the 1045 service, and they're still half asleep because most of them are under the age of 30, and their kids were up all night, and they haven't had enough coffee yet, so they aren't ready to go, but you all are ready to go. Hey, I've got a question for you. Um, I had a moment yesterday where I was driving from point A to point B. Uh, I was actually at the hospital with, uh, with one, of our, one of our people that had kind of a mini stroke yesterday and ended up in the hospital while her family was out of town. So I ended up in the hospital. On the way home from the hospital, uh, my wife called me, and we had ordered pizza for dinner. And she said, Krishna, can you pick up the pizza? And I went and picked up the pizza at, at, a, at a little pizza place called Next Door Pizza. You all have eaten at Next Door Pizza in, in Longview. Uh, just a little plug for that. You should if you haven't. It's, it's, uh, it's great pizza. But it's about 10 miles from my house, and I left Next Door Pizza and pulled into my driveway and could not remember anything about the drive from next door pizza to the driveway. Like, couldn't remember what roads I took, didn't know if I hit a squirrel or a person, can't remember if I stopped at stoplights or stops. Have you ever, have you ever done that? Like, got someplace and you just realized, like, I was checked out the entire time I was driving. How did I get home? What way did I take? Did I hurt someone? I mean, that's kind of crazy, right? You get from one place to another and you, you just find yourself on cruise control. Um, I want to talk to you about one of the cruise control areas of our life spiritually that I believe people can get into. And I want to do that through the lens of the Lord's Prayer. We just sang a portion of that, uh, just sang a portion of the Lord's Prayer from that great song from Elevation Worship, um, Salvation Reign Over Us. But I'm going to ask you with your eyes open, more, more of a, um, more today of an object lesson than a prayer, I'm going to ask you to say the Lord's Prayer with me. You all know what I'm referring to when I say the Lord's Prayer, Right? So, and, and here's, I always get confused when I'm saying it with other people because I don't know if they're going to say forgive us of our debts or forgive us of our trespasses. I always say just forgive us of our, you know, I just wait until they start because I'm not sure which one I'm supposed to say. So we'll go with trespasses today just as a group so we don't say forgive us of our, you know, we'll, we'll do trespasses. But here's what I want to do. I, I just want to, as an object lesson, say this together. So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. Stop. How many times have you prayed that line in your life? Lead us not into temptation without ever really thinking about... How many times have you prayed that line on cruise control spiritually? And just kind of moved right past this thought of lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And it's really interesting if we were to, to read the Greek in that, um, that's actually a proper word, uh, meaning it doesn't say literally deliver me from evil. It says deliver me from the evil one. It's talking about a specific person who's coming after our life spiritually. I wonder how many of us, when it comes to temptation, just kind of live on autopilot. Because as we're studying the life of Jesus this summer, and for a year now, I have been laying out the life of Jesus for us to study so that we can learn it, so that we can know it, but more than anything, so we can follow Jesus, so we can model who he is and what he did. And when you look at the life of Jesus, you begin with his birth, there's a lot of birth narrative, and then you go to his baptism, quite a bit of baptism narrative, um, and then immediately you go into the temptation of Jesus. But a lot of times we glide past that. Because he did so well, 
because he kind of passed with flying colors, we never really stop to pay attention to the temptation of Jesus. We never really stop when we're praying the Lord's Prayer to say, when, when we say, lead us not into temptation. We just, we kind of start our Father and we end glory, power forever, amen. And it's kind of like we have got from the beginning of the prayer to the end of the prayer on cruise control, and we never really stop to smell the roses or even see the scenery along the way. And as we study the life of Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 or turn on your phone or turn on your tablet, whatever you're using today. If you don't have any of those and you'd like a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. Uh, if you need a Bible, just wave at them. They'll give you one. We've given away more than 400 Bibles since our church has started like this. We love for people to have a Bible every Sunday. We're going to open it. We're going to learn from it. We believe it's God's Word and it holds great truth for our life. And we're going to read it and study it and try to figure out how to apply it to our life every time that we come together as a church. But in Matthew chapter 4, we are introduced to the life of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. And folks, I need you to understand, nothing in the Bible was put there for entertainment. These are not sitcoms. These are not movies. These are not miniseries. According to Scripture, every word of the Bible was put there to teach us, to train us, to correct us, to rebuke us. So that, so that we could become better in our faith, so that we could grow spiritually. And I am convinced that one thing that holds people back from growing spiritually is the inability to recognize and overcome the temptations in their life that would want to distance them from their pursuit of Jesus. So today we're going to talk about temptation. Now I could say this, for those of you who maybe you've been a Christian a while and maybe you've got some key areas in your life that you've been trying to overcome for a long time. I don't even have to preach this sermon because you clearly recognize the things you're tempted with. You pray every day that you could overcome those. But we have a lot of brand new Christians in our church. We have a lot of people who come to our church every Sunday and have not yet decided to follow Jesus, but they're still kind of checking out Christianity. I'm going to talk to you today about what it means to begin to feel and listen to um, and answer to the Holy Spirit inside your body. We say that when you become a Christian, kind of the God takes the driver's seat of your conscience and he begins to spiritually guide you through his Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk today about how to recognize and overcome temptation. We're not just learning about the temptation of Jesus, although we are. We're learning about it to apply it to our life so we can take one step closer to Jesus in our spiritual walk. And in Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says it went down this way. We'll read through the first 11 verses. It says, then, circle that word then. I'm going to trace that back to the baptism of Jesus in a few minutes. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him. And he said, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the, high, uh, all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil's the devil left him, and the angels came, and they attended to him. Now, as we read through that passage, and maybe that's the first time you've ever heard that passage in your life, as we read through this passage today as followers of Jesus, 
and, and the word follower means much more of imitators of or modelers of than someone who's following in line. We're, we're not just going where Jesus went. We're trying to become more like Jesus. As people who read this passage trying to become more like Jesus, we have to say, what can I learn from this passage that will help a spiritual light bulb go on in my life? What can I learn from this passage that will help me understand my spiritual walk a little bit? What will help me in this passage go from where I am spiritually to where God desires for me to be spiritually? Uh, And I think there's three things, and, and there's a bunch, but I've narrowed it to three today that I think every Christian has to learn and be aware of if we're going to learn to recognize and overcome temptation, spiritual temptation in our own life. The first thing that we have to learn is if if you're following along on your sermon notes on the back of your bulletin is we have to recognize the placement of Jesus' temptation. You say, what do you mean by the placement? I mean where it occurred, not geographically, but in his life. I want you to see when Jesus was susceptible to temptation and I want you to see when the devil, as he was called in Matthew chapter 4, or Satan, as he is called in Matthew chapter 4, I want you to see when it's crucial for him to come into the life of a Christian. So in Matthew chapter 4, we open, but remember, we're connected to Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. And if you go back to Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, I want you to see what happens right before the temptation of Jesus, because this is going to help us learn some things about ourselves and some things about our spiritual walk. We studied this last week, the baptism of Jesus. It said, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, but, but you come to me. Um, and Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love with him. I am well pleased. We talked about this baptism last week being kind of one of the pinnacle points in the life of Jesus. We said that this baptism identified Jesus with God's call on his life. You know, we said he didn't need to be baptized to forgive him of his sins. He didn't need to be baptized because he needed to live a different life. He didn't need to be baptized to be cleansed from anything. So his baptism identified with God's call in his life. His baptism was him publicly honoring God by choice in the presence of those he would live life with. His baptism would be catalytic. It would be the starting line. It would be the starting pistol. For those of you who have been around track a little bit to his life of ministry, and we said according to John, John's job was to get things straight to get things ready for Jesus to come. So the baptism got things straight for the journey ahead. So we would look at this and say, like, Jesus is on cloud nine spiritually. This is one of the high points of Jesus' life. Jesus is now closer to God, closer to his mission, more engaged than he's ever been as a human being on earth. And yet we find him at the high point of a spiritual experience, highly susceptible to what Satan wants to do in his life and highly susceptible to temptation that will pull him away from God. Look at Matthew chapter 4 again. I want to point some things out to you just to show you how things work spiritually. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 it said, Then, when's then? Right after his baptism. Like right as he was celebrating what Jesus, what, what, what God had been doing in his life spiritually. Right after he was celebrating what was going on in his life spiritually, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him. Now, I don't know if you recognize verse 3 enough to underline it, but those first one, two, three, four, five words of verse 3, you need to underline in your Bible. 
If you don't have a Bible, you need to write them on your sermon notes. If you don't have sermon notes, you need to borrow a pen and write them on your hand like you used to do taking notes or preparing to cheat for a test when you were in middle school or high school. I mean, you need to understand this phrase because from the Garden of Eden to the life of Job to the life of Jesus to later the Apostle Peter, I want you to see how temptation works. Verse 3 says, the tempter came to him. The tempter came to to him. Will you say that with me? The tempter came to him. The tempter comes to us. The tempter comes to you. See, we think that when we have spiritual moments where, where we are on cloud nine spiritually, we think we're untouchable by Satan because a lot of times we take too much credit for our temptation and we say, if I am reading my Bible and if I am praying and if I am engaged in church and if I am serving, then Satan can't touch me. If I will just try my hardest to live for Jesus and I will stay away from Satan, he will stay away from me. According to Scripture, that is not so. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Satan is looking for people who are serving more than they've ever served in their life who are making commitments that they've never made in their life. Satan is looking for people who are being baptized publicly. Satan is looking for people who have begun to give a portion of their income. Satan is looking for people who are getting up at 5.30 a.m. to come do setup in a portable church. Satan is looking for people making huge strides spiritually, and he is going to them. He's coming to you. The tempter came to him. Jesus did not do anything wrong. Jesus did not put himself around the wrong people. Jesus did not put himself in, in a place that, uh, where sin was rampant and things could go wrong. He was all by himself in the wilderness. For those of you who go to Israel with me November, we'll, we'll drive from Jericho to Jerusalem and we'll stop and we'll go look out over the wilderness that they call the temptation wilderness where Jesus would have been for 40 days and 40 nights while he moved from being baptized to Jerusalem. And we will see Jesus was just kind of minding his own business. But the tempter came to him. The tempter came to a perfect man. In Genesis chapter 3, the tempter came to a perfect place, the Garden of Eden. And Satan always looks for people who are making perfect decisions. Satan is always looking for people who are making great commitments. And he's saying, those are the people that I need to go to. That's why the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be alert. It literally means, wake up, be alert. And of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You do not have to step into the cage of Satan to be tempted by sin. It will find you. He will find you. In church, in the wilderness, after a baptism, while you're serving more, loving more, reading more, praying more, doing more than you've ever done in life, the tempter will find you. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat. Peter, Satan is aware of you. He knows your name. He knows your call. He knows your potential. And he is going to try to shortcut that spiritually. You see, I have found that a lot of people are really shocked by how hard living for Jesus is. I always tell people the two most difficult things that I have ever worked to accomplish or worked at in my life are being married. Being married's hard. Having a great marriage takes a lot of work. And living for Jesus. Living for Jesus is hard. Living for Jesus takes a lot of work. Why? Because the devil does not leave you alone. You at no point get a card that says that you get a free pass when it comes to temptation. 
when we look at, at Jesus' life, we actually realize that the more you're growing spiritually, the more you're going to be tempted, the more you're going to be susceptible, the more Satan is going to want to kind of, to kind of come mess up your life. So some of you are thinking thoughts like this. Man, since I started living for Jesus, my job feels like it's up in the air. Since I started living for Jesus, my marriage has become more difficult. Since I started living for Jesus, it seems like my kids are crazy. Since I started living for Jesus, there's this girl at work or this guy at work who flirts with me. And you're thinking, you know, I've started living for Jesus. Why is all this stuff happening? Because the devil does not want you to live for Jesus. You have to realize that temptation comes as you grow. If you just sit back and don't grow, Satan doesn't care about you. But as you advance in your own spiritual life and as you advance the kingdom of God in the lives of others and in the world, Satan's going to come after you. Say, should I be afraid? No. Should you be aware? Yes. I mean, Jesus only taught us to pray a handful of things, and one of those things was, lead us not into temptation. And when it comes, deliver us. The word deliver means rescue. When I was growing up, there was a show called Rescue 911 on TV. Anybody remember the show called Rescue 911? I'd watch it and then be afraid to go to sleep at night because of the crazy things that would happen on it. But I watched it. And on Rescue 911, man, people would be put in all kinds of crazy conditions. Danielle and I last night were laying in bed watching uh, North America on the Discovery Channel. Did any of you watch that series? Pretty, pretty cool little deal in North America. And it showed a hiker who had fallen... I don't know, 100 feet and landed on like a one-foot cliff in Yosemite National Park. And it showed what the rescuers had to do to repel down 1,600 feet to get him and then lower him another 600 feet. I mean, like, that's the thought. Jesus says, pray that you don't get hung out there spiritually in temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Rescue us from what Satan has tried to do. You know, it's, it's interesting, this message. It's interesting, this concept. Um, we have at our church since we started, and Pastor Ryan probably knows this better than me, but somewhere between 50 and 75 people who have been baptized at our church since we've begun. We'll do another baptism next Sunday. And three of those people um, got baptized and never came back to our church. Like literally, they got baptized and they have never been back. And they don't answer our phone calls. And I, I don't know if they moved. I don't know if they dropped off the face of the earth. But as I begin to struggle with the concept of, you know, how could people at their, the pinnacle of their spiritual experience just go away? I begin to look at the life of Jesus and think, man, I bet though that day, that week, that month, Satan turned up the temperature on them more than they've ever had it turned up in their life. And something went wrong where they went from a pinnacle of spiritual experience to a disconnect of spiritual experience. It led me, as I thought about that, to prepare a message series in the fall called Supernatural. And in the fall, I'm going to teach our church about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to teach our church about spiritual warfare. I'm going to teach our church about how to live the Christian life with this reality of good and evil and God and Satan and temptation and all these things. I'm going to take two months to teach through that because I believe it's highly misunderstood. But the first and biggest area is this area of temptation. As you grow, according to the life of Jesus, at, spirit, at critical points of spiritual commitment, at critical points of spiritual momentum, you're going to face difficult temptation in your life to backtrack on what Jesus is doing in you. It shouldn't surprise us, but we should be aware of it, and, and um, we should want not to be exempt from it, but to be prepared when it comes. 
When I played college football, it's funny, everyone used to make fun of us because I played quarterback, and the quarterbacks got to wear a red jersey. And a red, jer- red to a bull means hit. Red to a college football team means you're not allowed to touch them. So they would, you know, call us ballerinas, and, uh, you know, they'd call us soccer players. No offense to any of the soccer players. But, like, when we had the red jersey on, like, they were not allowed to touch us. And a lot of times as Christians, we want to put the red jersey on. Like, we want to say, I've been baptized. I'm giving. I'm serving. I'm going to a small group. I'm leading a small group. And we think, Lord, I should be able to put the red jersey on and Satan should not be able to touch me. Well, guess what? The red jersey for the Christian, Satan acts more like a bull than, than a college football player. He sees red and he aims. So you need to understand if you're grown spiritually, you've got a target on your back. Should I be afraid? No, I shouldn't be afraid. Should I be aware? Yes, you should be aware because Jesus said, pray that you stay out of temptation and that when you get in it, God rescues you. So the placement of the temptation... Temptation comes to growing Christians. Secondly, I want you to see the points of Jesus' temptation. I want you to see what Satan tried to do in his life because we realize, according to Scripture, that we're all tempted in the exact same way. So how was Jesus tempted? Because if we can learn how Jesus was tempted, we can learn how we will be tempted. And what does Matthew chapter 4, we'll start in verse 3 and go through verse 9. It says, the tempter came to him. I hope you have that underline. I think I've made it clear how important that is. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word of God, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it's written, He'll command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift up their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All of this I'll give to you, he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me. Listen, as Christians, we have to learn from the temptation of Jesus, not just about the temptation of Jesus. If we can learn about the temptation of Jesus and we can pass a test on how Jesus was tempted, but we don't learn from that and we're not able to then apply that to our own life, biblical education doesn't mean much if there's no biblical application of that in our life. So, so what do we learn? We learn that Jesus was tempted, and according to Hebrews chapter 4, he was tempted the same way that we're tempted. Hebrews 4 says this, We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points, he's tempted as we are, yet without sin. You say, wait a minute, Christian. I've never been tempted to eat bread when I'm really hungry. Now, take that back. Some of you have gone to diets, and you have been tempted to eat bread when you're hungry, right? Or a cookie, or popcorn, or those of you who have been on diets that you hate, you know what I'm talking about. So maybe you have been tempted like that. You say, Christian, I've never been tempted to jump off the top of a temple to see if angels were rescue, would rescue me. Christian, I've never been tempted to if I would bow down to Satan, I could be ruler of the world. So really, Jesus and I, we're nothing alike. We've not been tempted in the same ways. But the Bible says that, that we have. You say, okay, how does that work? There's got to be an answer, right? There is. First John 2.16 says this. For all that's in the world, and we learn here about the categories of stuff in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but of the world. So as we look at points of temptation biblically, from Adam and Eve, to Jesus, to the Apostle Peter, to you and I, there are three points of temptation that, that we will face spiritually. There's the lust of the flesh, according to Scripture. 
The temptations of the lust of the flesh would sound like this internally. If it feels good, do it. If you're hungry, just eat the bread. There's the lust of the flesh. There are some things that people in this room do, including the guy on the stage, that Christians who are trying to live for Jesus should not do, but we do them because of how they make us feel, because they feel good. Physically, in some way, it's appealing to us to the point where we know God says, don't do it, but it just feels good. So I do it. That would be called lust of the flesh. Eat the bread. In the Garden of Eden, it kind of sounded like this. Um, you know, Eve looked at the fruit, and the devil said, that will make you wise. If, it, if, if, it, if I feel like doing it, do I want to be more wise? Yeah, I'm going to do it. Because if it feels good, do it. There's the lust of the eyes, according to 1 John chapter 2. The lust of the eyes would sound like this in the internal mechanism of kind of our conscience. If it looks good, take it. Hey, that looks good. Looks like it fit into your life. Looks like it would improve your life. Take it. The devil said it this way. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. You can have them. They can be yours if you'll just bow down to me. The, the devil said it this way to Eve in the garden. Did God really say you can't look at, eat that fruit? Look at it. They said when she looked at it and realized that it was pleasing to the eye. And it might have tasted good as food. She's like, I'll have some. What in your life? You know, I, I think here of everything to, from pornography to um, living on debt and on credit cards. I just, I see that. I want that. I'm going to have that. Regardless of way, the way God says I should have that, I, I'm going to have that. And then the Bible says there's this pride of life. And the, the kind of the internal temptation of the pride of life would sound like this. If it makes you look good, or if it gives you more control in your life, pursue it. The devil said it this way. He's on the highest point of the temple. Again, I, I will point this for those of you who go to Israel with me this year, and then next year and next year, I'll point out this exact spot to you. It's a really neat place in Jerusalem. You can see Satan would have took him to a, a particular point on the temple and said, jump off. And scholars say in Jesus' time that would have been 400 to 480 feet high. He said, jump off. And in the middle of Jerusalem, uh, the angels will come. And, and basically, this will make you look good. Everyone will know you're really important when they see you can fly. Um, everyone will, uh, will want to follow you. You'll have more ministry control when they see this spectacle that you can create. So, so people look at the pride of life and they think, you know what, if this makes me look good, if I can cheat a little bit in my job to get ahead, where people will respect me more, um, if it gives me more control, if I can just manipulate this situation a little bit, if I can hide this part of the truth or cover up this part of the truth, if something is good for me and it makes me look good and ultimately gives me more control in my life, I'm going to pursue that. And Scripture says as we look at the ways that the devil comes to us, he's going to come in these areas. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Satan's screaming at Jesus, you can be in control of your own life. Satan is screaming at us when we, when we get tempted to do something that we think, you know, as a Christian I shouldn't do this. Satan says a lot of times, like, you can do whatever you want. From you don't have to listen to Jesus to 
Jesus is going to forgive you anyway. He just tries to get us to do things our own way. The fact is this, from the Garden of Eden to today, Satan is always looking to promote doubt, unbelief, or rebellion in the Christian life. Look at how he talked to Eve. Did God really say? He didn't say God's a liar. He just tried to create that. Did God really say that you can't eat that? Um, and she was like, uh, you know what? I think he, he said we couldn't eat it and we can't even touch it. Created a doubt in her mind. Why, why, would, why would God do that? And then he created unbelief. God said if we ate it, that things would be bad. So, oh, they're not going to be bad. I mean, I know what God says, but there's not going to be any really bad consequences. Just do what you want. It's actually, it actually improve your life a little bit. Unbelief to complete rebellion. Take it, eat it, give some to her husband, eat it, run and hide from God. This is how Satan works in our life. So let me ask you this question, because maybe you don't see this as temptation. What's been going on in your life spiritually that you're beginning to doubt a little bit? Maybe you started reading your Bible this year, but it's, it's been hard. You've missed a few days. And you're beginning to think things like this. You know, like, I don't need to read my Bible every day. Is it even that important? You're just beginning to doubt just a little bit. Do I need to do that? Some of you have started giving. Talk to families who started tithing, and right after they started tithing, something financially bad happened, and the, the doubt sounded like this. You know, I just, you know, I thought if I gave, God was supposed to bless me, so is this really working? I've started praying. I don't know if I'm getting it. Just this little doubt creeps into your mind. Do you recognize that as temptation leading you down a dangerous path? Are there any areas of unbelief? Hey, I, I know what the Bible says, but, I, you know, I just disagree. I don't believe that. You see, doubt leads to unbelief. Unbelief leads to rebellion. And then eventually where you and God were trying to come like this, you go like this, and you veer off, and you just end up further and further away from God. We have to realize what Satan is doing. We have to... Be alert for what Satan is doing. And we have to look at areas of doubt, unbelief, and rebellion and say, okay, God, help me understand these and process these. Is this Satan attacking me? Help me understand how to, how, how to grow closer to you and come over this. And, and then there's number three. And this really steps outside of the specific temptation of Jesus, but you can't study the biblical topic of temptation without looking at what I would call God's promise for your temptation. Now, if you're like me, you, are, you will at some point in your life, if you haven't at some point in this message, think that, you know, why can't God just protect me from temptation? Why can't I just pray that I, that I won't be tempted at all um, and that I just won't have to deal with this? Like, why, if I love God enough, why wouldn't he just keep Satan away from me? Or some people would think this, why does God allow this to come in my life? Why would God put this in my life if I'm not supposed to do it? And we begin to reflect on what the Bible says about temptation. James 1.13 says this, When tempted, nobody should say that God's tempting me. For God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So no one in here has ever been tempted by God to sin. God has not put something in your path to make you fail spiritually. The Bible says that that doesn't happen. James 1.14 says, okay, how does temptation happen? And I'm glad you asked. James 1.14.15 says it this way, Each person is tempted... The Christian, why am I tempted? Listen, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and they're enticed. Then, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full, full grown, gives birth to death. Now, there's a lot of things, man, spiritually in James 1, 14 and 15 
But the thing that I want to focus on today, just as we look at how temptation and sin works, is I want to look at this fact. Temptation may lead to sin, but temptation is not sin. Temptation may lead to sin, but according to James 1, 14 and 15, being tempted is not a sin. The Bible says that Jesus lived a sinless life. Was Jesus tempted, yes or no? Yes, so experiencing temptation does not mean you're weak. Experiencing temptation does not mean that you're sinning. You don't have to pray and ask God to forgive you for being tempted by something or tempted to do something or tempted by someone. You ask God to protect you from that, but you don't have to ask God to forgive you from that. But we have to ask God to protect us because temptation can lead to sin. You say, no, what do I do when I'm tempted? Realizing that it's me, um, not God. What do I do when I'm tempted so that I don't sin? We first reflect on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Paul's basically saying, look, we all struggle with the same things here, all right? So let's just realize we all struggle with the same things. No temptation has overtaken you except which is common to everyone else. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So the Bible says God doesn't tempt us, but he's aware of our temptation. And the Bible says that when we're tempted, God is always right there with us. And he has given us an option and an opportunity to say no if we will choose to take it. If we will say no to the unbelief, if we will say no to the doubt, if we will say no to the rebellion. Everyone is going to be tempted, but God will be right there when you're tempted. And he'll always give you uh, the ability and the opportunity to get out. Rick Warren actually looks at temptation this way. If you've never read The Purpose Driven Life, chapter 26 of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, you should write that down. It's a best-selling, hardback, nonfiction book in the history of the world. Um, his, he has an entire chapter that's probably eight pages long on temptation. And that chapter starts with this statement. Every temptation is an opportunity to do good. Every temptation is an opportunity to do good. You know, Christians need to stop looking at temptations as, oh, I'm so weak, and as, oh, I have the opportunity to be so strong. Because every temptation is an opportunity to, good, to do good. Here's how Warren describes it later in his chapter. He says, on the path to spiritual maturity, even temptation becomes a stepping stone rather than a stumbling block when you realize that it's just as much an occasion to do the right thing as it is to do the wrong thing. Temptation simply provides the choice. While temptation is Satan's primary weapon to destroy you, God wants to use it to develop you. Every time you choose to do good instead of sin, you are growing in the character of Christ. So even as James introduces temptation to us, James says it this way in the New Living Translations. He said, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they'll receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love them. God blesses people who make it through temptation and make it through unscathed. But it's interesting because when we look at life and we look at opportunities to grow, um, overcoming something that we used to fall short of is usually a, a, a cause for celebration in our life. Think about those of you who have lifted weights. Um, that weight that you've always failed at, that you finally get, proves that you're stronger. Those of you who are runners, who used to be able to run a mile, and then you ran a 5K and you did three miles, and then you did 10K and you did six miles, and then you completed your first half marathon, 
every time you do something you used to not be able to do, you prove that you're growing stronger. Those of you who are in employment and you believe that God's called you something to greater and you've turned in resume after resume and you've gotten rejected time after time, but you finally get that job or that promotion you've always wanted, you realize finally you're growing in your ability to, to be an employee. Those of you who are trying to pay off debt and get out of debt, every dollar towards debt makes you stronger financially. You see, God doesn't bring problems to our life. God doesn't bring temptations to our life, but he'll use them. God doesn't load the extra weight on the bar that we've never been able to lift before, but when that weight ends up on the bar, he helps us lift it to prove how strong we are. God doesn't put opportunities in our life where we're used to running two miles and now we have to run five, but when we do, he lets us know we're getting stronger, we're getting better, and God takes temptation in our life. And he's able to twist it for our good if we can overcome it so we'll know how much we're growing. God always provides a way out according to Scripture. God never gives us more than we can handle according to Scripture. Did you hear what I just said? God always provides a way out. How many times out of ten does God provide a way out? Ten, always. God never gives us more than we can handle. How many times out of ten do we have something that's bigger than what we can handle? Zero. I tricked you on that one. It's like, oh, I'm not sure what I was supposed to say. We never have something that's too big. We always have a way out according to Scripture. So we have to start winning. We've got to be like Charlie Sheen. We've got to be winners in, in the world. Don't be spiritually like Charlie Sheen. That would be horrible. I won't say that at 1045. That was the wrong spiritual advice. But we want to win spiritually. How do we win spiritually? How do we overcome temptation? You can tell when something's in my notes and when it's not. It's like, that made sense, but that's not a good thing to say. How do we win? How do we win over temptation? Number one, how are you and I going to win spiritually? We have to anticipate temptation. Win, usually when we're doing well. Usually when we're getting ready to take major steps spiritually, that's when the temptation is going to come. Anticipate it. And don't just anticipate the big stuff, anticipate the little stuff. You, you all know that, I'm, that I, just as an individual, I'm kind of weird. And I have, a lot of, I have a lot of weird phobias and things. And one of the things you should know is that I am deathly afraid of sharks. And have been since, um, since I saw Jaws when I was probably six. You know, why is any six-year-old watching Jaws? I don't know, but I did. Anyone else in the house afraid of sharks? Um, like... I, I struggle going to the ocean. Um, I struggle swimming in lakes. Um, I have been known to stand on the diving board of a swimming pool and make sure there's not sharks in the pool. I mean, I, I'm a freak, right? I mean, I get that. I get that. I'm a little weird. But I, I mean, I have a major fear of sharks, big time. Um, and, and I'm aware, like when I'm in the ocean, that they could be there. But it's usually not the big things that we just have to be aware of. Do you know that in the last decade, only eight people have been killed by sharks in America? In the last 10 years, only eight people in America have killed, been killed by sharks. You know how many people have been killed by dogs in the last 10 years in America? 230. Now, I'm not afraid every time I run by a dog. And I don't look both ways every time I step out of my house to make sure there's a dog there. Probably... The big things in your life you're worried about probably aren't going to come as much as the little things. So we have to anticipate the little things. How do I anticipate the little things in temptation? You ask four questions. When is it that I'm usually tempted the most? Is it when I'm home alone? 
Um, is it when I'm really tired? Is it when I'm at work? Is it when I'm traveling and on the road? When is it that I seem to always have temptation in my life? Where is it? Like, where am I? Where, where, where do I find myself driving home the most from? Or walking out of the most, uh, the, the most of where I'm saying, Lord, forgive me again. Where is that that I, that I constantly seem to go south spiritually? With, with whom, who, who am I with? Who are the people in my life that if I were to look back at temptation, when I'm around them, like around these people, I'd never use the language that I use around these people. When, when I leave these people, I always feel bad, but maybe it's the crowd I'm with maybe more than the person that I am because I'm when, when I'm with these people, I, I want to really live for Jesus, but when I'm with these people, I, I struggle a little bit. I'll have one too many. I'll say and do things that I, that I shouldn't. Who, who am I with when... When I find myself falling back spiritually, how do, how do I feel? You say, what do you mean, how do I feel? You know, when I feel the most tempted, when I'm really tired, when I'm really stressed. I mean, if you were to ask Danielle, when does Christian blow up uh, in a sinful manner at his wife and his kids? She would say when he's really tired and when he's really stressed. Sometimes he doesn't act like the best Christian. So I know, and she knows, like she will just say when she sees it coming on, like, just go take a nap just go play golf, just go for a run. Because she knows even when I am susceptible to not acting like a Christian should act. So I anticipate it. Number two, I avoid it. Listen, we have to start seeing ourselves. Remember the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are. Do you believe that? Because a lot of Christians don't act like they believe that. And they'll walk into situation after situation that they are not strong enough to handle and wonder why they always fail. You fail because you're weak. And sometimes we have to realize, I can't do that because I'm weak. L- let me give you an example. Uh, a month ago, I was invited out to a, um, a church planner's gathering uh, in Las Vegas. I had never been to Las Vegas. I had avoided Las Vegas in my life because of my struggle in high school and college with pornography. I did not want to go to Las Vegas. So, of course, I took my wife with me to be highly accountable. And we went for two days of church planning meetings. Um, and I told Danielle when we got back to the airport, I'll never come back here. The billboards bother me. The little guys flipping the cards of prostitutes, they bother me. All the shows on the strip, they, take, they, they tempt me in a way I don't want to be tempted. I don't want to think about my old life anymore. So if I ever go back, we'll stay outside the city that place is not for me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to avoid it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go there. Go have a blast. If you win some money, tithe. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to speak out <laughs> against gambling. You know, it's like, do what you want. Don't develop a gambling addiction, right? If you have one, let us know. We'll help you. But if you win, like, just give, right? <laughs> I am, like, all over the place here today. But for me, like, I'm like Joshua, like, for me in my house, I can't go to Vegas, right? My eyes and my mind and my past are broken sexually from pornography. I can't go. It's not for me spiritually. You have to learn when to wave the white flag and say, I just can't do that anymore. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to never go on a business trip again with these people, this man, this woman, because I'm, I just, sorry, I surrender. I'm weak. I can't do that. Avoid it. Number three, get accountability. 
You know, Scripture says that the Christians in the New Testament church were accountable to God, and they were accountable to others. So we begin to engage God in this process of when I'm tempted, God, help me. When I fail, God, forgive me. But God becomes a very real part, literally, Every time we're in this temptation method, we begin to talk to God. And when we find ourselves failing a lot, the Bible says we talk to others. James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to one another. It didn't say confess your, just your temptations, but like when you keep falling again and again, like you've got to tell someone and you've got to ask them to help you because the tempter is coming to us. So when I look at the temptation of Jesus, what do I learn? I have to learn as we look at our next steps. I have to, I, I have to identify the temptation points in my life. I have to. If I want to be close to Jesus and I want to grow closer to Jesus, I have to identify the temptation points in my life. I have to realize where I'm weak. Secondly, I have to learn to anticipate, to avoid, and to become accountable for the temptation points in my life. I've got to start talking to God about those, and I probably need to start talking to somebody else about those. Man, one of the things that I appreciated the most as we were in Las Vegas walking the strip one night is Danielle just grabbed my arm, and she said, does this bother you? She knew I was going to be bothered by it. I mean, thank God for a wife who knows where I struggle, who helps hold me accountable, and, and who's just nurturing and loving there, right? I mean, thank God for her. Learn to anticipate, avoid, and become accountable because... When you learn to anticipate, avoid, and become accountable, other people will learn to anticipate and avoid for you. And when they see you walking in the direction you're walking, they'll say, don't do that. Remember, you're probably going to fail if you do that. And then thirdly, grow strong through temptation. Don't fear it anymore. Use it. Think of it as that next step up on the bench press. Think of it as that next mile in your training run. Think of it as the next step up on your career ladder. Think of every temptation as an opportunity to grow a little bit spiritually. And then you know what? I, I love Elijah. Elijah was the prophet who kind of had an NFL wide receiver mentality, like he was cocky, he was arrogant, he threw it in people's face. I say when you face temptation and when you win, throw it in Satan's face and say, thank you for the opportunity to step on your head so that I could take the next step spiritually in my life. You know what I'm saying? Use temptation to grow. Now, we're done for today, but the question is this. Where is Satan coming after you? The tempter's coming to you. He doesn't wait at your favorite bar. He doesn't wait at your workplace. He doesn't wait with a group of friends. He comes to you. And even if you go get all by yourself in the wilderness, he will come to you. And he will tempt you. Where is he tempting you? Do you need an attitude adjustment? Do you need a heart adjustment? Do you need some relational adjustment? Do you need to remove some things from your life or put some things into your life? Like as you sit here today, where are you weak? Because if you can admit that and recognize that, you can begin to overcome that. And man, who knows how God can use a Christian who has learned how to recognize and overcome temptation in this lifetime.